Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. This week's episode features Killian Hennessy. He's the founder of Killian Paris. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Indy Lee, the founder and CEO of Indy Lee & Co. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm excited to be here with Killian Hennessy. He's the founder of Killian Paris. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you. So happy to be here as well. I'm so excited to learn about you and share your wisdom with our fans. Um, and I have to start with my favorite question. And I asked this to you on our intake call last week. Um, let's go back in time to the, your your 10-year-old self, Killian. And if someone, an adult, uh, asked you what do you want to be when you grow up, what are you going to answer with? When I was 10 years old? Yes. <laughs> I believe I said I had no clue. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe I said at 20 either, I had no clue. The, um, I really met uh, my, de my destiny at the age of 22 when I had to write a thesis for my fifth year in college and I chose uh, the semantics of sense. And in order to understand what I would be writing about, I did a no school in parallel with my fifth year in college. And the first day I started smelling raw materials, essential oils, I was, I fell in love. I mean, it was really a love at first sight. I knew immediately that perfume was going to become my world. So Killian, I read a lot of um, articles and interviews with you that I could find online. And um, of course, a lot of the writers ask about your family and why you're not in the family business. And, um, you know, do you think at 10 years old, you were thinking to yourself, I don't, I definitely don't want to be in the family business. Like, does a little kid know that? No, I don't think so. But at that age, I was growing up in Cognac. Um, so Cognac is a city in Charente where uh, Hennessy makes its Cognac because in order to be called Cognac, then you need to be produced in Cognac region. Uh, so I was growing up in my grandfather's castle uh, from zero to 10. Um, people were, were usually say, wow, I'm like, no, <laughs> no, because, uh, uh, there was no other kids. So it was a very lonely childhood. Um, but, uh, then my, my parents got a divorce. My mother took us to Paris and, uh, best decision ever. Do you remember, um, going to Paris and then socializing more with, with kids and feeling like, wow, this is the way it's supposed to be? Yeah. Absolutely. How, how old were you then? 10. Oh, wow. Um, I hit that time frame yep. right on the money. Yep. I have a 10-year-old daughter who is um, really happy to be home <laughs> and not hang out with her friends now. You know, during COVID, she's at school at home. And um, <laughs> she's, I think, the opposite of you. She's, like, so happy that she doesn't have to leave the house. <laughs> That's because we'll have to do it every single year. <laughs> That's right. You know, she, you, um, she's, you always want what you don't have. That's the rule in life. <laughs> you want what you don't have. <laughs> right. So, you know, the, as the families are in a rush to get their kids back to school and she's perfectly content, um, so happy to be in her her own comfortable little cocoon. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm I'm happy for you that you be able you were able to see what was on the other side of the grass. Right. The grass is always greener, but you actually got to to play in that grass. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think it's super interesting 
that uh, when people make a career out of fragrance, because it's such an abstract world, right? You know, if you if you talk to people outside of beauty, they don't really understand the job or why, um, you know, how the creativity and the business collide. Um, do you consider yourself um, more creative or more business? Or are you sort of like a half and half? Um, I would say half and half. Um, and in order to build a brand and a business, you need to have both. Because um, if you are, if you if you cannot understand the logic of retail, and how to train your staff to properly talk about your stories, then the message is never conveyed properly to the customer. And ultimately, like any opera, any song, any movie, um, it's the customer who decides. You know, the only thing we can do is create a product that is as new, as exciting as possible, and that we are proud to defend. But that, the, after all, uh, it's in the hand of God, in the hand of the customer. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so some people, sometimes people tell me, which one is your favorite perfume? And I'm like, it's not like I have a favorite perfume. I'm, I'm, maybe there's a few that I'm not so proud of because I had to finish them too quickly or I, I, I let them happen in nature too quickly. But in general, I'm proud of 95% of everything I have done. Now, um, like a child, you know, if you have a child that goes to Harvard and a child who ends up um, selling in a music store, somehow, <laughs> you're a little bit more proud of the son that goes to Harvard. <laughs> Same thing with perfume. You know, the perfume that gave me my, um, my renommee, my awareness, and you know, the perfume that all, my, um, all the customers and the critics have, have said, this is a fantastic creation, and therefore are also my most successful perfume. Those are the ones I'm the most proud of. It's hard to be proud of a perfume that has not found its, its public, its customer base. You love it, but at one point, there's a feeling of disappointment. So I'm, as you're talking about the relationship between your emotions and um, how they're tied to different sense, it makes me think of um, like songwriters, composers, um, right? Like, uh, yeah, we can pick a famous one. Um, you know, I my guess is there's always a reason to create new music because there's always some a feeling to express right um and i guess over time you know some performers want to stop singing the same old song right at every show right because they just feel like they've evolved um is that one of the way is that one of the reasons why like as a creator of a fragrance you you want to keep creating cuz you're putting your yourself and like where you are in the world in that moment into the creation <sighs> You know, if I'm thinking about an amazing song producer like Mark Ronson, you know, and for example, the album he wrote for Amy Winehouse, Back to Black. I don't think he would, I mean, I know, I mean, it's impossible, the lyrics and the music and the, 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 uh, the, this R&B feel, he would have never, never done this, this music, this sound for somebody else than Amy Winehouse. So in his case, you write for someone, right? Uh, some, often I compare my job to uh, the job of a movie director who would be writing uh, the scripts of his own movies. And depending on the script you have written, 
and therefore on the emotion you try to, to convey, you don't choose the same actors and actresses to express that emotion. It's a bit like that for me when I choose which perfumer I want to work with to express that particular emotion. Some perfumers have a very short formula, a way of writing, usually 15, 25 ingredients maximum. That, those are very short formula, which means that a lot of ingredients in those formula are in overdose. And it creates an, 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 an emotion that is a bit more raw, a bit, a bit more, yeah, raw is the right word. Some perfumers don't write a formula with less than 100 ingredients. So every ingredient has very, very tiny uh, amounts. So every formula is built almost like a lace, very detailed. And that creates a different emotion. Um, and on top of it, some perfumers will mostly use certain type of ingredients, when others will use, you know, completely different ones. So when you, when, when you put all that together, every, it, it allows us for us, um, to choose perfumer depending on a specific style. Um, if I take a comparison, I don't know, uh, would you take, um, I don't even know what to tell you. Uh, I don't know, Meryl Streep, even in her young age, to play an action pack movie. Maybe not, you know, it's not, it's not her territory. Uh, same thing with perfumers. Some perfumers are better, in my point of view, in a certain territory than others. So depending on the emotion I'm trying to convey, I choose my actors and my perfumers like actors and actresses. All right. So that leads me to wonder, um, you know, when you, when you embarked on this journey, why artisanal? Like, why was it so important that this is an artisanal brand that doesn't follow like the, the marketing norms and the pricing norms and the, you know, like wh why, why walk away from these formulas that you see, you know, can make, you know, quite a bit of money. No, no. I mean, I, I'm going to give you two answers. One is purely financial. Um, if you want to play against those big blockbusters, because they, it's exactly a blockbuster uh, industry, uh, you need to have the means to play with the blockbusters, which means that you need to be able to launch a perfume in at minimum 25,000 doors in the world. And you need to be put on the money at minimum 25 million to 30 million in advertising and promotion. You can imagine that when you start, <laughs> you're really, really far from that. You know, when, when the, the, the suppliers were tell, asking me how many quantities of my bottle I was thinking, I was like 10,000. And in my mind, I was like, oh, it's going to take me three years. <laughs> So, um, no, it's, it's, we don't compete. But that's the reason why this category exists. It is because we're going in a, such a much smaller distribution, we can go with create, cre creativity that doesn't need to appeal to everyone. We just need to appeal very strongly to a very small amount of people. We don't need any more. So that allows a much higher level of creativity. And in terms of retail price, we want to be able to use beautiful ingredients and use them in overdose. And that has a price. So what I can tell you is I put more in my perfume itself, what we call the juice, than any brand 
puts in its total product combined. And by far. Simply because quality has a price. I mean, uh, it's exactly like in fashion. Exactly like in fashion. Uh, you use the word uh, to use the ingredients in overdose. Um, yeah. What, is, what does that mean to you to like, um, to express the fragrance with these overdose of um, scents? <clears throat> well, depending on the strength of an ingredient, an overdose can be 0.5% of the formula or it can be 50% of the formula, right? Um, some ingredients are so strong that if you put 0.5%, you'll, you'll smell it. It's, it's going to overshadow the entire creativity, creation, the entire perfume. It's a bit like um, if I'm putting jalapeno on a dish. You don't need to put a lot. If I'm putting like 50% of the dish is jalapeno, it's uneatable, right? Same thing with perfume. There's some ingredients you cannot go too high because it will overshadow the entire perfume creation. Um, but for example, in, my, in one of my previous lives working for one of those big brands, I was looking at talking with the perfumer and I, and I asked him to increase the orange blossom the natural orange blossom. And he said, oh, you, you're crazy. We already have so much. I'm like, how much do we have? He said, 0.2%. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my, it's time for me to leave. <laughs> because now I'm using probably 10 times more or 40 times more of orange blossom in the formula. But at that level of retail price, you can't afford it. Me, I don't give myself any limit. So if at one point, my, one of my scents are very expensive, so be it, it's just very expensive. Right, so, um, you know, it, the way you speak about fragrance makes me think about pre-COVID um, time period um, and, you know, visiting your stores. Um, I imagine that your appearances um, were really valuable in driving interest in sales. Am I right? Yep. So, all the, all the, the, the live Instagram that I have been done, that I've been doing for the past year. I mean, I've been online uh, doing live Instagram, live stories, uh, PAs online, podcasts. I mean, I, uh, almost like once uh, every two weeks. Or may, even, even one a week, once a week. Um, so if you go back in time to think about when your personal appearances started in real life, you know, at the stores, yeah. um, you know, because we, we can't do this right now. So I'm so curious to like go back in time. Um, what were you learning about the customer when you were able to actually like talk to her or him face to face? What what kind of insights did that give you? Because, you know, I think uh, we all crave to go back there, but I'm curious to know what um, you learned along the way. You don't really learn anything, to be honest, because those PAs are usually kind of crazy. There's 200 people. Uh, it's an hour and a half. Everybody queues with their product that they want me to sign. They want to have a photo. And it's like, next one, next one. And it's just that. So um, I'm not getting a lot of insight. I didn't know. Wait, Killian, I didn't know that this is like an Elvis moment. I didn't realize that um, that there was like this. Yeah, I have to tell you, I feel, I feel like I would be making more money just doing a uh, Selling the photos of me and selling the perfume. <laughs> so, 
So I guess I would imagine that it was much more tame where you got to actually shake the hand of your customer and talk to her and hear her life story. Um, I didn't realize that this was um, people lining up from like a, a, a true fan um, perspective. Um, but I imagine it wasn't like that in the very, very beginning, right? They didn't know you yet. No, but... Um... I have to be honest, I, ha I have been very lucky. My, my first PA was at Burdorf Goodman. That was, Burdorf was my first store in the world. And um, they asked me to launch on a Saturday morning for a group of perfume fanatics called the Sniffa Paluza. I mean, you cannot invent that name. <laughs> and um, so I did my presentation, then I went to the counter and I had 72 products. We sold out in one hour. Sold out. What a great story. That's so yeah. awesome. Yeah. So the sniffer paloozas were your people. Those were Fragons fanatics. Now I don't know what happens. Uh, I think I, I, I'm not sure they, I don't know. I, I, I cannot say, I don't know anymore. Some of them come uh, still in the PAs, um, but I don't know if they, they still exist as a group. That I'm, I don't know. Well, that's interesting that um, you know, at retail years ago, the sniffer paloozas are what um, generated that kind of excitement and interest because it's not really that different than like these super the super targeting that we do on social media, right? Obviously, it's not in real life; it's digital. But the the hyper targeting to find the the fanatics of fragrance, right? We do that digitally now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you miss seeing people and signing the bottles? Um, I miss the travel, for sure. Um, you know, it's not like, again, I spend 15 seconds with everyone or 30 seconds, you know. Um, it's hard to, I mean, I don't connect. Um, but I certainly miss the travel, discovering uh, countries and looking at locations and uh, the more business uh, side of it. Because for me, the, from a creative standpoint, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed at all. You know, I don't need, I don't need to be in the perfumer's uh, building to create perfume. You know, uh, the perfume creation is in your head, the, the idea that you're trying to achieve. And then uh, we exchange by SMS, by phone, by email, by any way you want with the perfumer. We exchange ideas, what about this, what about that. Then we do lab samples that I receive wherever I am in the world. I wear them, I try them, and make my comments. So for me, my job hasn't changed from a creative standpoint. It's really the, the more business side that has changed. Right. It's interesting that um, because the personal appearances are so busy and you, like you said, you spend eight seconds with a person um, that you're not connecting with them. But how interesting that um, they're they're really connecting with you. I mean, they wouldn't be there um, waiting in line. Right. So isn't it kind of crazy, amazing, right, that um, while you don't even have a moment to shake their hands, you know, hear their life story, hear about their dog or their daughter. Um, they're there because they're connecting with you. And that's kind of like an Elvis thing. But at the same time, what's funny is I feel like I connect better through Instagram, through digital, because people have time to write me their stories about what they want. Uh, like a few days ago, um, this uh, woman said, oh, it's my fiance's birthday tomorrow. And 
he's a big fan of you and nothing would make him happier if you could uh, wish him a happy birthday. So, you know, those kind of things. So I have to follow him, wish him happy birthday, unfollow him afterwards. <laughs> uh, but I hear, I hear people's stories. People tell me their stories through Instagrams, through direct message. So I actually feel like I'm connecting more digitally than in person, which is so weird. That's so cool that people ask. And um, are you available to do that? Like, are you going to be able to make time to wish him a happy birthday? I already did. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So I wonder if the people who waited in line years ago knew that they would have such access to you. You know, like we didn't know what social media would become, right, when you started your business. No. Nope. Um, but how beautiful that, especially during this time when people really need connection, that you're actually responding. Yeah. That's amazing. But I must say, you know, that's the, um, even though I'm not connecting individually with everyone, it's still a connection with your, your fans as, a, as an entity. And this warmth that you feel, that you receive, uh, I do miss that, you know. Like, for example, this, um, we launched a collection called The Liquors um, in October. And I think it has been my most successful collection ever. And I have a scent uh, in this collection called Angel Share that is my most intimate scent because it's really my childhood memories of the Hennessy Cellars. And um, usually, if I would be doing PAs, I would, be, I would be hearing a lot of stories from customers, you know? This is what happened, this is what happened. Um, uh, you know what, when I think about it, sometimes some people do tell me a few fun, funny stories. But it's usually um, letters that they, they, they send me or there's usually something a bit more detail involved. I, um, I love that you can um, match memories to, to sense, right? It's like the, one of the strongest, I think, human um, connectivity ideas, right? That like I can, when I smell orange blossom, you mentioned orange blossom, like I, I, I have very vivid memories of that um, and travel. And, you know, I'm curious, um, as we um, close out the interview, since scent is so powerful um, for memory, if you've tracked back your memories of scent to your time at the castle versus your time in Paris. I'm not sure to understand the question, actually. Like, in all my creations? No, I guess in your, in personally, you know, like the, the child that I was at 10, you know, sometimes um, those insecurities or fears or whatever pop up, you know, as an adult, right? And I work hard to explore those and understand those, you know, to feel um, as whole as I can. So I'm just curious um, if, you know, you, you find anything therapeutic in revisiting those scent memories. Um, I mean, I only did it for Angel Share, which was, as I mentioned, it, mm, my olfactive memory of the of the sellers. Um, I'm trying actually to work on, on, on an olfactive memory of my grandfather. Um, he, um, he used to wear a perfume named Eau Sauvage by Dior. And when I would meet him in the morning, he would be smoking his pipe. And um, the, 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 the tobacco is Saint-Claude. And I went to buy it and <laughs> And I'm trying to smoke it and uh, I'm working with a perfumer to try to combine both because individually, none of them works. It's the combination of the two. Um, I'm, I'm like so far from anything interesting so far, uh, yet. Um, 
to be honest, no, I'm not. I'm. I I have worked enough with my shrink to deal <laughs> with my past, not to have to relive it <laughs> in, in my creations. So no. <laughs> Uh, Kelly and I, I appreciate that honest answer. You know, I have therapists, I have coaches, I have another coach, I have another coach, right? So I'm <laughs> constantly diving deep and I don't have your skill, right, to match these things up to my fragrance memories. It's just my memories. Um, so I do appreciate that honest answer. Um, well, thank you so much, Colleen, for sharing your wisdom with our listeners today. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Killian. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.